Welcome to the Fit Cookie Nutrition Podcast. My name is Holly Samuel, and I am a registered dietitian, certified personal trainer, and master of health education with a focus in eating disorders, and I am your host today. In this podcast, we talk all things nutrition for runners, improving your relationship with food and exercise, and becoming a lifelong injury-proof runner. Now let's get into the episode. Hey, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of the Fall Race Season Series. In today's episode, we are going to talk all things logistics. So when it comes to your race, things that I think about myself and also have my clients think about for their goal races that you can set yourself up for success. So we're going to dive into a few different points I want to make here, and I'm also going to take my um, Q&A box that I put up on Instagram with some of your specific questions in it and try to answer these um, at the end of the show. And then I should be able to answer some more of these in a different episode on taper nutrition, uh, since that was a big thing for a lot of you in terms of what questions you had. So let's kind of dive into just some key points here that I want to make on race logistics first. So First and foremost, on the nutrition standpoint, <laughs> we want to practice your fueling strategy. So I want you to basically write down, you know, exactly what you're planning to do for this race. So if it's a race where you have to travel to it, you know, what days are you leaving your house? What days are you going to be in a hotel or in an Airbnb or at a friend's house <clears throat> leading up to the race? And what meals are going to be affected by this? So are you going to have a kitchen to cook in, you know, the days leading up to your race, or are you not going to have access to that? So that's the first thing. Second thing would be, I want you to basically write down, um, you know, the two days before your race, if it is a marathon and at least a day before your race, if you're doing a half marathon, um, exactly what your meal schedule and meal plan is going to look like. So this is the part of sports nutrition fueling that may not seem super intuitive. You're probably doing a rest day or some really light activity leading up to your race. You may not feel super jazzed about the idea of eating a lot of food or a bunch of carbohydrates, and it may not seem super intuitive to do so, but it's very, very key if we're talking about performance um, that you do so. So first things first is I would say write out, you know, the day before your race or even two days before your race. All right, what am I going to do for breakfast? What am I going to do for lunch? What am I going to do for dinner? What are my snacks going to look like? What's my hydration plan going to look like? What do I need to consider? You know, for taper nutrition purposes to summarize, we definitely don't necessarily need to be eating a ton more calories than we normally would during peak training. But we do need to make sure that more of those calories, so anywhere from 50 to 70%, depending on your goals, are coming from carbohydrates. Um, so you want to say, all right, my breakfast, my lunches, my dinners, my snacks, how can I make them more carb-focused? Um, and if you are someone who has a tough time digesting more complex carbohydrates that have a lot of fiber in them, how can I get these carbs in from simpler sources <clears throat> without upsetting my gut? So I want you to write out your plan for the day or two before your race. And then I want you to write out your plan for the day of the race. What time is your race going to be? What time do you have to wake up to ensure you are adequately digesting your food? And is this different than what you practiced in your training? So are you going to have to 
do some things on the fly here. And what do you need to consider for that? Um, a lot of people will say that, you know, maybe they would wake up, they would eat their normal long run breakfast, but then there's going to be like three hours before their race when typically there's only an hour before their long run. So maybe they need to add like a second snack or a gel or something additional closer to the race so that you're not going too long without eating. Also, where's that food all going to come from the day before the race, the day of the race? You know, does it have to travel with you? Do you have a drive to get to the start line? What are the logistics going to look like? You know, do you have a kitchen? Are you going to be able to go to the grocery store? Do you need to rely on restaurants? And what's, you know, a good way that you can mimic what you've been doing successfully in training? Because if you've heard me before, you know by now that I really hope you've been practicing this all in training because we need to train our gut in order to take on fuel. And how's that timing going to work out for you? So for certain marathons like Boston or New York City, um, at least in general settings, I know this year with the coronavirus situation, they may be um, doing more of a rolling start or the start line may look a little different. But for the most part, a lot of these races start a little bit later in the morning um, for some of the later waves. So if this is different than what you've practiced in training, you know, maybe try to start strategizing all right, how am I going to have enough food with me so that I can eat while I'm hanging out at the start line if I need to? What's the bathroom situation like? You know, how often or how much time do I need, you know, to make sure that I have time to go to the bathroom and so on and so forth. And we'll talk more about taper nutrition in a different episode because there's a lot more I have to say about that. But at least for now, practice, write down your plan, try to implement your plan, think about the logistics. Also, practice the clothes practice the gear, (laughs) practice the things that you're going to be wearing for race day. Maybe write all this down, check the weather, not obsessively, uh, which I know is easy to do, (laughs) especially if you're in an unpredictable place like I am in New England. But, you know, check the weather. What clothes are you going to want to wear? Hopefully you've already practiced your long runs in these clothes a few times so that, you know, they don't chafe and that they don't rub you the wrong way. Um, You know, how are you going to carry the fuel for your race day nutrition. So um, not only do I want you to write down, you know, the days before and the morning of for your race fueling strategy, but I also want you to write down, you know, the gels, the goos, the chews, the food, the hydration, whatever it is you're going to use for your actual race. And I want you to figure out how the heck you're going to carry it. (laughs) So one thing to really be considerate of um, that I've been finding with a lot of races is that if you are planning to use a hydration pack like a Camelback or a Nathan um, Nathan backpack, do make sure that you look up the race rules um, and make sure that they allow those. Some big races do not allow those. Some races uh, need those to be under a certain size in order for them to be legal. So make sure that you check on that if that's your plan. I don't want you to, to arrive to the start line security and have them take everything from you and then you have no fuel or hydration strategy. Um, and then come up with a plan B. So if you drop a gel, do you have an extra one or can you take one from the course? You know, if you were planning on using the water stops and there wasn't enough water at the water stops, you know, what's your backup plan? Are you going to have a handheld water bottle? Are you going to have someone on course that's going to hand you water? Um, you know, if something starts to sound really disgusting (laughs) during your race plan, what's your plan B? Do you have different flavors of gels? Do you have, um, you know, a different strategy for that as well? You know, if you're relying on the Gatorade endurance on the course and they ran out, do you have salt tabs on you? You know, what's your plan B? I think sometimes it's really good to have that just in case so you don't panic and then not make a decision. 
in terms of your gear too, you know, make sure that you understand what the start line area is going to look like. You know, if you're going to be, you know, bust or dropped off there and you're going to have to hang out there for a bit, is it going to be really cold? Are you going to need proper gear to make sure you stay warm? Um, having throwaway clothes can be really helpful. Most races, um, will donate any clothes that you kind of strip off at the last minute to homeless shelters in the area, which I know a lot of people like to participate in intentionally. So sometimes they'll go, um, to like a Walmart or, you know, a dollar store or something, and they'll buy, you know, some cheap sweatpants and sweatshirts, gloves, that kind of thing. And then they will donate them before the gun goes off. Um, that can be a really good strategy as well. Or maybe you're making sure that you understand how you're going to do like your bag check and security. You know, what clothes are you going to put in there for the finish line? You know, what's the finish line going to look like? You're going to cross the finish line and be able to get right into your car uh, where it's nice and warm and you have a change of clothes, etc. and your post-race nutrition. Or are you going to be walking through a mile long finish shoot, and then have two mile walk back to your hotel, like in Chicago. <laughs> um, so make sure that you have a good strategy for that. You've got your gear check, um, you know, post race clothes situation figured out, or you've got a friendly family or friend member at the finish line waiting for you with appropriate uh, gear for you to change into. And also think about the weather too for how you're going to carry all of this as well. So for your, you know, race day outfit, are you going to need, you know, gloves, a hat? Are you going to want to have to take these things off if you get warm? I really like arm sleeves for this purpose because you can just kind of take them off. Do you need sunglasses? Do you need extra hair ties if you have long hair that you want to tie back? Because there's nothing worse than having your hair tie break and then you your hair is down for like a marathon. Can you even imagine? That would be terrible. So make sure you bring extras. Are you going to need rain gear, um, whether it's at the start line only or during the race itself? Do you need to bring different socks or shoes at all than you normally would? Try to make all these decisions ahead of time. And again, have a plan B if it doesn't work out. The next thing you should consider is your headphone situation. So a lot of races do allow headphones. I know they don't encourage them because it can be unsafe if you can't hear your surroundings. But what's your plan for this? Are you going to have to make a music playlist before? Want to make sure your headphones and watch are all charged up and ready to go. Are you going to listen to podcasts? Some races too will have, um, they'll be in more remote locations. So you may have to make sure you download all these things to your phone so that you're not left, you know, looking for a GPS signal or service and not getting it <laughs> and then not having a plan. What's your plan for those? Also your shoes. Um, most, you know, athletes, I would recommend that you pretty much have about 50 to 100 miles on your shoes or less um, for race day. So if you've been using the same pair of trainers throughout the past three months of training and they're kind of getting worn out, um, it's a really good idea around your peak week or like the week after your peak week to get a new pair of shoes so that you're kind of breaking them in throughout the taper and then you have them ready for race day. I do not recommend getting a new pair of shoes the week of your race and then trying to break them in and having you end up with like a weird foot injury because you didn't break your shoes in fast enough or blisters or that kind of thing. So make sure you get new shoes as well if you need them. And then again, you know, the logistics. So thinking of your race, your race weekend, and what you're planning to do, um, you know, think about like, 
am I going to be walking a lot? You know, am I going to be walking around the city? Do I want to be touring? What's the expo like? And try to minimize the time on your feet. Um, Before both of my marathon PRs, I ended up walking like 12,000 steps the day before the race, which was way more than I wanted to, but it still worked out. So you don't need to be obsessive over this, but definitely if you're, if you're focusing on a PR race, try to minimize the time on your feet the day before, maybe go to the expo and then plan to kind of take taxis everywhere or bike or do something that you're used to doing to keep the time off your feet, get takeout, that kind of thing. If you can, again, also, you know, making sure that you're planning out the logistics for this. So, you know, this is something that might be too late by now, but maybe in the future, you know, do you want to kind of plan the time to tour around the cool new destination you're going to do your race before your race or after your race? You know, would you rather walk around um, on really sore legs after your race or, you know, would you rather make sure that you're being cautious, maybe not seeing everything, but, you know, kind of doing all that before your race, just kind of interesting to think about. So, In terms of logistics, um, that's what I want you to think about. And before we hear from our sponsor today, um, I want to also get into the Q&A session next. So first, let's hear from our sponsor, and then I will see you on the other side. Hey, everybody. I just wanted to take a minute to thank our sponsor for this episode, which is Koala Clip. I don't know about you, but I really like running with my phone. I just like having it on me for safety reasons and also so I can listen to my music, have access to GPS if I get lost. Um, And I don't like carrying my phone, um, but the best way that I've found to carry it in the past three years is through using Koala Clip. If you are looking for a solution to carry your phone on you, your fuel, your keys, credit card, whatever it is, in a way that basically makes you forget you're carrying it because it's so gosh darn comfortable, (laughs) you need a Koala Clip. I have the solution for you. So I've been using Koala Clip for probably four years now. It's come with me through several marathons, half marathons, and you guys, I always forget it's there because it's just so darn comfortable. So essentially, Koala Clip is a little water-resistant pouch with a magnetic hook on it, and you put whatever you need to put in your pouch, like your phone, and they fit all kinds of phone sizes. There's different sizes of Koala Clips, your keys, your credit card, whatever it is. And you essentially place the koala clip between your sports bra and your back. And the hook just hooks right over the top of your sports bra or short. And you guys, it does not move. You forget it's there. And it's truly amazing. It doesn't matter how sweaty you are. If it's downpouring rain, whatever is in your koala clip will stay dry. Trust me, this is (laughs) tried and true by a dedicated user. And it's washable. So you can just throw it in the wash um, whenever you feel the need to clean it up. So I want you guys to try this out if you're looking for a way to safely and effectively carry your phone, fuel, keys, whatever it is. And I want you to do it at a discount because, you know, we're friends here and it's just really important to me that you can carry things in a comfortable way. So head over to koalaclip.com or the link in the show notes. They've got a bunch of other products too, like these cute sports bras with, you know, phone pockets in them bunch of different types of koala clips, different colors, designs, and sizes. And use code FITCOOKIE10. Again, go to koalaclip.com and use code FITCOOKIE10 at checkout to get 10% off your order. Now let's get back to today's guest. 
All right. So now to answer some of your questions via my Instagram Q&A box. So um, carrying nutrition with you on race day was one of the questions um, and themes <laughs> throughout some of these questions. So first off, I would say listen to my best gear episode that I just released. Um, it's going to have a couple different options for you. And again, practice this during training and see what's going to work best. Um, and also make sure too that you've purchased your race day fuel before you travel there or that you have a plan on how to purchase it once you get there. So you're not, you know, kind of trying to decide between different flavors of goo that you've never had before because you didn't plan ahead kind of thing. Make sure you've got that with you. Um, in terms of carrying it with you, you know, I would carry it with you. Um, you know, I'd kind of, I'd kind of stash it away in my clothes, um, before I left like the hotel room or my house, just to kind of make sure that it's going to be comfortable so that you're not trying to mess with it when you're sitting at the start line. Um, and then just risk, you know, being disorganized, dropping things, that kind of thing. So, you know, put it on you, how you plan to run with it. Something that I typically do um, is I will wear spandex shorts that have side pockets. Um, typically, I need five or six gels per marathon that I run and maybe two for a half marathon, like one to two. Um, so I'll kind of stuff like two gels in one side pocket, two gels in another side pocket. And then I might stuff one up my arm sleeve or in my glove um, or hold it in my hand. And I tend to take that one first. So I, I could probably stuff it in the pocket if I had to, but honestly, there's not usually enough room. So that's kind of what I do in the past. I've also used like a flip belt or a fueling belt to stuff gels in. Um, but I think just practicing this in training is going to give you the best idea of what you should do during race day. And I would say, make sure you pack the right clothes, the right tool to carry your fuel and get it all situated on yourself before you leave your hotel room in case you need to kind of like come up with a backup plan. Other questions. So some people were saying maybe the race has been moved. Some have been pushed back to 2022 already. So sad. Um, I know this has happened to a couple of people. I know the New Jersey Marathon got canceled. The Tokyo Marathon got canceled. Um, so if, if this happens to you, um, it can be really discouraging. I think like give yourself a window of time to be sad and then, you know, kind of have a deadline on when, when you're allowed to be sad until so that you can start making a plan for what you're going to do. So, um, if this is the case, you know, reflect on, all right, well, what about that race made me want to do it? Was it the timing? Was it the convenience? Was it the atmosphere of what that race is supposed to be like? And what's going to be my priority? You know, do I really want to do that specific race? And if so, you know, am I going to kind of suck it up and just wait until 2022 to do it? Or, you know, am I really proud of my training and I want to use this fitness and be able to test it? And I'm okay with doing that at another race. Um, let me try and find a backup race. So a lot of local races are continuing to happen because they tend to be smaller um, and the crowd's more controllable. So that's something to consider. But know too that if you're planning to do like a big city race that um, maybe isn't going to happen this year, you know, the atmosphere of that is going to be very different than your local marathon where you might be totally alone the whole time. So, you know, again, just kind of reflect on, all right, well, what was this training all for? You know, what was my goal here? And do I want to just find a backup or do I want to, you know, maybe do that race next year and save myself for that experience? Um, there's really no right answer. I just think having a deadline on when you're allowed to be sad until um, and mourn <laughs> that race and then coming up with a plan from there. So hopefully 
races don't get canceled, um, but it does happen. And some of them, it happens last minute, which is really tough. Have you ever gone out in a marathon with a pace group start to finish? So this is a good question. Um, the answer is no. I, I really don't love running with a pace group. I know some people swear by it. Um, and I, again, I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here. Um, but personally, no, I've never gone out with a pace group. Um, I find that pace groups tend to run um, very even splits or even positive splits um, because oftentimes pacers are hired because they're much more fit than the pace group that they're leading. So for these people, you know, they can very easily run a marathon, you know, in under four hours, if that's like an example of a pace group, because maybe they've run a three hour marathon. But I'll say that for these people, a lot of the time, some of that that pace, it doesn't come naturally to them. They have to really be intentional about it. So it's easy for them to go out too fast and then lead the pace group going out too fast, which is detrimental if you're not a three-hour marathon or trying to run a sub-four-hour marathon because um, it can lead you to crash and burn. So I don't really love running with pace groups. I tend to be a really, I'm pretty good at pacing myself. Um, so I tend not to, but I think meeting with the pacer at the expo or if you can in a meetup before the race and just seeing what their plan is going to be. And if it's in alignment with what you and your coach, if you have one, want you to do. Um, and if it is awesome, the pacer might be really, really helpful. And if it's not, maybe, you know, consider another option. What I will say is um, for the Chicago Marathon, which was the last kind of bigger in-person race that I did, um, that pacer that I, that I was around because it's hard not to be around a pacer in the Chicago marathon. Cause it's just, there's so many runners. Um, and there's multiple pacers for each pace group. Um, but like, for example, I was following like a sub four hour marathon pacer, like for the first five miles. And then my goal was to run a sub three thirty hour marathon. And I did, and he was going way too fast. <laughs> um, and then I also passed, you know, the sub three thirty hour marathon, person like around mile 20. And I was thinking, well, if people just stay with him, like they're not going to sub 30, 330 in the marathon. So, cause I ran, I think a sub, I think I ran a 328. So I just came under. So the pacers can definitely make mistakes. They're human. Um, but I think talk with them before, see what their plan's going to be. And if it's in alignment with yours, maybe give it a go. And if it's not, you know, know that you definitely don't need to run with a pace group to be successful. Travel tips. If you have to drive for hours or fly to a race. Um, this is a good question because this is probably, you know, what a lot of people are experiencing. So I would say if your race is on like a Sunday, um, if you can, getting there on Friday night so that you have the whole day Saturday to wake up like you normally would, have your food like you normally would, go to the expo if you want to, and then chill. <laughs> That's ideal. Um, I don't recommend if you can avoid it, you travel all day like Saturday and then you get there get to the, and you're like exhausted from traveling all day, maybe a little dehydrated. And that's just not going to set you up for a PR. Um, it, it can be done. It's not that it can't be done. But if we're talking about optimizing it, I try to get there on like Friday night before a Sunday race if you can. And again, um, you know, keep yourself really well hydrated, write down that fueling schedule so that you know exactly what you're going to eat and where it's going to come from. So you don't have to think about this the day or two before the race and plan your travel around that as well. So in terms of next questions, um, let's see. My race is in December. <clears throat> How important are speed workouts and which speed workouts are best? 
I don't know what race you're running. Um, so, but the main takeaway here, um, in terms of this question is there's not going to be any one type of speed workout that's going to be best. So your speed workouts should really be geared towards what your goal is, what type of race you're running. And I wouldn't ever think about one speed workout being more important than another. It's really more about the cumulative average of your training that is important. So if you bomb a speed workout and then you do okay on a couple speed workouts and you have a really good speed workout, just because you have one really good speed workout doesn't mean your race is going to go great. And just because you also had one really terrible one doesn't mean your race is going to go great. If on average, they're all kind of like a B, you know, on a like A through F scale, you know, BC range, then, you know, you're probably on target for your, for your race. So that's a pretty complex question. I'd recommend working with a coach if you're not sure how to incorporate speed work, because there's different speed workouts that are going to be better for different distances. So, you know, like your half and full marathon, you're going to be wanting to do more like steady state tempos and threshold work, um, with longer repeats, like 800 and mile repeats. Um, and for shorter races, like mile 5k, 10k, even you're going to be, you know, wanting to do more, uh, shorter, faster repeats. Um, but you also kind of want to be incorporating those, um, in terms of different seasons. So like, you don't only want to ever be doing tempo runs because you only run marathons. Um, you want to have some, some speed work that's shorter and faster, maybe in your off season or to train for something that's shorter and faster in order to kind of big picture, make you faster in the long run, pun intended. Um, someone in the Q and a box just put taper crazies with exclamation points. Um, this is a thing. Taper crazies are a thing. If you are in the taper for a big race, um, and that can be anywhere between like a week if it's a 5K or a 10K, or it can be two to three weeks um, if it's like a half or full or ultra marathon. Um, and the taper is kind of interesting. So from a standpoint, you're supposed to peak in your training. We're just going to use the marathon, for example, to keep it consistent across the board. Um, you're supposed to treat uh, peak in your training for a marathon about two to three weeks out from your goal race. And then in that two to three weeks leading up to your goal race, the hay should be in the barn. You can't really gain more fitness, but you can hurt your fitness um, in those weeks. So it's really important to incorporate a proper taper. And this doesn't mean just, okay, I don't have to run anymore, or I don't have to do my speed workouts, or I don't have to do any strength work. That's not what it means. But it means that you should be tapering. You should be reducing your total volume you should be switching to some more specific work for that race, and you should really be focusing on recovery. I mean, the taper is all about getting you recovered from that peak week so that you totally peak the week of your marathon. Because um, again, you can't really gain fitness, but you can hurt yourself. So focusing on recovery should help your body kind of get into that race in tip-top shape all healed up from anything that was bothering you. Um, and also the reduction in your mileage while simultaneously uh, maintaining the same caloric intake and increasing your carbohydrates in your diet for a proper carbo load, which I'll talk about more in depth in a different episode. Um, those things simultaneously should help you top off your glycogen stores, which is also going to be key for hitting your peak performance on race day. So your taper is really important. Um, 
And for a lot of people, they can feel totally bad in the taper. Like you could have maybe a great peak week, you're feeling super confident, and then the taper just destroys your confidence because you feel terrible. Maybe you have like these random aches and pains that pop up. Um, That can be a signal that your body is really doing some deeper um, healing and recovery work that it hasn't just had the chance to do when you were doing higher mileage, more speed workouts, et cetera. So the taper is to kind of bring on that deeper healing so that you're feeling ready to go on race day. And having weird aches and pains, feeling really bad during your runs can be a confidence crusher, but think of it as a sign that your taper is purposeful and your body's doing what it has to do. And it's a good thing you have two to three weeks because you're going to feel really good after it does all this healing come race day. Um, In terms of other taper crazies. There was a couple questions on, you know, how much should you lower your mileage? Should you cross train um, more during the taper? What about strength training? So um, the answer is, you know, for that first week, again, we're just going to talk about the marathon. Typical traditional marathon taper is about three weeks. So you would have like your peak long run, peak hard, you know, hard uh, training week. And then you would have three weeks until your race day. So in that first week of the taper, typically I would reduce your mileage by about 20 to 30%. Um, I wouldn't necessarily take away the intensity though. So if you typically had, you know, a track workout or a tempo run, um, and then a long run, you know, I would keep, you know, keep the speed work in there, but maybe reduce the volume. So if you usually did, you know, like a, like a eight mile, you know, marathon pace tempo run, make it, you know, a six mile marathon pace tempo run. So we're reducing it by about that 20 to 30%, but we're still incorporating some intensity. Same thing, your long run, you know, if you normally would do like a 16 to 20 mile long run, maybe reduce it to a 10 to 16 mile long run. Um, so that you're keeping the theme and your body's still in a rhythm, but the volume's much less and you're allowing your body to start that recovery process. For the following week, so second week into the taper, you want to reduce your mileage by even more. So I would reduce it by another 20 to 30%. So you're at about 50% of what your peak mileage was. So if you peaked out around 50 miles per week, you know, the second week of the taper, you're probably going to be around 25 to 35 miles per week. Um, again, you can keep some of the intensity, but I would reduce it even more, um, so that you're just really focusing a lot on recovery this week. This week is probably going to look the most like some of your first weeks of training for this training cycle. And the following week is really just about recovery, staying loose and getting your legs all healed up and ready for race day. I typically don't recommend strength training this week. Um, just so your legs are fresh. You can do some of the PT exercises or prehab if you know, that's something that you need to do to stay healthy, but I wouldn't recommend any heavy lifting or anything like that a week to two weeks out from your goal marathon. Um, in terms of increasing cross training during the taper, absolutely not. No, do not do this. Do not test your fitness in any way during the taper. And that's where the taper crazies can come in where you feel like, Oh my God, am I going to remember how to run? Like that last tempo run felt terrible. How am I going to run that pace for 26.2 miles? I can't even do it for three. Um, super normal. (laughs) Don't panic. Don't test your fitness. Just you know, again, you, you can not put any more hay in the barn during this time, but you can throw hay out of the barn during this time. And that's not what we want to do. So 
No, if you're feeling like you have taper crazies and you have that urge to do accessory movement like cross training or, you know, maybe just do some, you know, extra speed work just to test your fitness during this easy run or long run that wasn't scheduled, do not, do not, do not do it. Instead, focus your energy on recovery. If you feel like you absolutely have to test something, you know, start writing down your race plan. (laughs) Start, you know, visualizing what it's going to be like to cross that finish line. Maybe do some other things you didn't have time to do during training, but do not, do not, do not do extra training on top of your schedule. That's definitely not recommended. Um, And then also in terms of if this is like your your first marathon um, or maybe the first marathon in a long time, you know, I would also just use this time as you know, a place to, to give yourself like a pat on the back, you know, give yourself some gratitude. You completed a full training cycle for a half or full or whatever it is, you know, marathon and, you know, less than half a percent of the U S population completes a marathon. So like you're already, you know, almost ahead of, ahead of that game. And that is a very small number of people. So pat yourself on the back, know that you're doing hard things. You're doing things. Most people don't just normally do. Um, if you know, there were parts of your training that you weren't totally happy with know that, you know, they're not going to make or break your race. Um, people can have perfect, like picture, perfect training cycles where everything goes perfectly and then totally fall apart on race day. (laughs) And people can have training cycles that did not go as planned. And you felt like you were patchworking together workouts and long runs, and half of it didn't even happen the way you wanted it to. And you could have an excellent race and PR. Um, when you get more experience in these distances, you know, you start to respect them a little bit more and know that they really owe you nothing. Um, but also you, you start to typically gain more confidence in your training because you can reflect back on, well, that training cycle didn't go as planned, but look, I still had a great race day. Or you can say, you know, Hey, that training cycle went great, but my race totally sucked. And it was because my nutrition wasn't on board or because I didn't plan ahead well enough or because of the weather or whatever it is. And you can take some of that former knowledge and apply it to this situation, but also know that, you know, comparing yourself constantly to the past is also not productive. So just have some gratitude for the training you were able to do, the goals that you're setting. And this can be a really good time to start setting like an A, B, or C goal. So your A goal should be like, this is the most perfect day ever. This is what would happen in an ideal situation. This is what I'm totally capable of in a totally ideal situation. Um, B goal would be, this is most likely to happen. If things go well, um, I would be very happy with this goal. And then C goal, you know, would be, you know, if things don't really go as planned, this is something that I can still focus on to make sure that I finish or have a good experience um, or whatever it is. So setting those goals can be helpful. So you have something to focus on um, during the taper crazies or, you know, throughout your race as well. And then you can start to build like a race plan uh, with your coach or on your own in terms of, you know, I want to go out conservatively or what do I want to do during this part of the course where there's hills, um, you know, et cetera. So kind of, you know, give yourself some, some, some gratitude and a pat on the back during the taper too. You did a lot of hard work. Um, and you know, a lot of people don't do this for fun. So good job. And just start to plan ahead for how you want to celebrate your race. And I'm also going to talk to you guys in a different episode about what the heck to do after your race is over, because that is kind of a weird place to be. Typically people find the first week or so, 
they're riding that high of the race if it went really well, or they're kind of sad because it didn't go well and they're wondering what they should do next, followed by a week of wondering what you should do next and maybe feeling kind of lost. (laughs) So we're going to talk about that too in a different episode. I hope that answering some of these questions and going through race logistics with you guys was helpful. Um, If you have any questions, you know, feel free to reach out to me. Um, on Instagram in my messages that I typically check. Um, or you can send me an email at hsamuel at fitcookienutrition.com. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would really appreciate a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. I would really appreciate you sharing it and tagging me on your Instagram page or with family and friends because it just helps other people um, you know, find the podcast. And then I can continue doing the podcast and providing you with this free information and advice because it's something I love to do. Um, It's not ever something I thought I'd be able to do. And I just, it's so much fun. So if you could write me a review, I would really appreciate that. Tag me and all the things, share the show around, and also let me know who else you want to hear on the show in terms of guests, or if you have other topics that you want me to cover in these solo episodes. So I hope you guys really, 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 really enjoy your race season this fall. Savor the moment. It's a really interesting time um, in life and also um, really interesting kind of environment for races with, you know, the pandemic and everything and all of the world majors happening this fall. And until next time, happy running or happy tapering. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.